helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Hi, I'm Jim Shoemaker, and welcome to Talk Money. Well, you know, one of the biggest questions we get a lot about, and everybody says, "I want to. when's the next time you're going to have the Social Security guy? I don't know why we can't say Kurt Zarnowski, but everybody says the Social Security guy. So guess what? We have with us today the Social Security guy. Welcome to the program, Kurt. Hey, Jim. Great to be back. Uh, before we get started, let me just say I hope everyone out there, your listeners and you and Shoemaker Financial, everybody's doing about as well as could be expected during these crazy times. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll get through this. Uh, thank you, sir. We appreciate that. And to you and your family the same, because reality is, it seems like I was reading something recently that 78% of the people sur- surveyed by the psychologists, a bunch of psychologists, we're going to talk about this later, psychologists saying that they're now more stressed today than they were in this time in 2019, and they expect the increase because of Christmas to go over 80%. So, hey, I don't know about you, but I am laid back. You know, no use getting stressed out. We just stay safe, right? I've always heard you were a mellow fellow, my <laughs> friend. So that's Absolutely. Well, you know, here, Kurt, now you're the Social Security guy. I love it when people send a note, note to me and say, when are we having the Social Security guy on? And I, I think that's such a, you've gotten that reputation, my man. But listen, I, I really want to kind of let you give us some insight into what's happening in 2021. What changes can we expect from Social Security and Medicare for 2021? Sure. You know, I always like to, and I generally am on with you about this time of year. Um, and like to remind listeners, one of the great hallmarks of the Social Security program is for folks who are collecting benefits, each year there is an annual guaranteed cost of living adjustment in their Social Security payments. The annual guaranteed COLA has been around since uh, legislation was passed in 1972, kicked in in 1975. And each year, the Social Security Administration around this time announces what that COLA will be for the upcoming year. And the 2021 COLA announced by the Social Security Administration in the middle of October. And it says that basically starting in payments received in January, Social Security beneficiaries will receive a 1.3% increase in their monthly payments. Now, a lot of people wonder, well, where does this number come from? And it's basically in the statute that in determining how much of a cost of living increase there'll be, the Social Security Administration looks to a measure called the Consumer Price Index for Urban Wage Earners and Clerical Workers. It's abbreviated the CPIW. It's a measure tracked by the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics, and basically it tracks the inflation, if you will, in a market basket of goods and services. Now, the key thing is, In determining the COLA, Social Security is required to compare the increase in that CPIW between the third quarter of one year and the third quarter of the following year. So in determining that 1.3% increase kicking in, Social Security, working with the Bureau of Labor Statistics, saw that between July, August, and September of 2019 and July, August, September of 2020, 
that CPIW increased by 1.3%. And so that gets automatically passed on to Social Security beneficiaries and the payments that they receive starting in the month of January. So hugely important part of the program. There's discussions about whether that CPIW is the appropriate measure that should be used, but there's no discussion about eliminating this guaranteed COLA because that's hugely important, Jim, as we talked about, for folks living even longer in retirement these days. If you don't have some inflation protection built into your income, purchasing power of the income you have is just going to fall off a cliff. So 1.3% showing up in payments received, or excuse me, direct deposits showing up in uh, the month of January. That's a that's a big number for a lot of people, and I mean that's important for people to understand too that it is going to go with that cola, and it will be increasing, and that is a part of the overall plan. You know something, you know I think Kurt that I read recently from the um, Center of Financial Security, and I don't know if it's something you should address today or we have you back, but it's kind of shocked me. It said. Just under 50% of Americans in the blue-collar sector of the workforce take their retirement benefit at age 62, and 38% of those in the white-collar worker, also, they begin their retirement benefits also early at age 62. Does that affect, does, does the COLA really kind of create a problem with that, taking it early like that? What's, what, just your thoughts. Sure. So what the thing that what uh, the key measure in all of this for folks is Social Security calculates the what is called the full retirement age benefit amount for somebody. It's the amount they'd collect if they started to collect at whatever their full retirement age for Social Security purposes is. For anyone born 1943, 1954, it's the month you turn age 66. But that um, benefit amount calculated averaging the person's highest 35 years of work and earnings under the social security program, inflation adjusted years. But then that primary insurance amount, it's called calculated for somebody at full retirement age. Now, if they then opt to collect prior to attaining full retirement age, this benefit amount is reduced by roughly half a percent for each month that they elect to receive benefits about a 6% per year reduction. If they opt to defer beyond full retirement age before starting, this full retirement age amount then gets increased and the increase is by two thirds of a percent or by 8% per year. So the COLA determines that primary insurance amount, the person's full retirement age amount, that's the amount that gets increased with inflation. But then if the person has opted to collect early that amount gets reduced because they've opted to collect early. If they've opted to defer, that full retirement age amount then gets increased because they've opted to wait. Well, that uh, that kind of leads me to this question then. I guess with that in mind, what do you see? Again, I'm back to the 2021 changes. The maximal, maximum taxable earnings, that usually goes up every year. What did it do for 2021? Sure, and just a, a reminder to listeners – while Social Security announces the increase in benefits, which is based on an increase in that CPIW measure, at the same time, they, inc- uh, they announce a number of other changes to the program. And the important thing is these other changes that we'll talk about in a second aren't based on the increase in the CPIW. They're based on the increase in something called the annual average wage index in this country. 
And so it's based on the increase in wages over the course of the year. And one of those changes is the taxable maximum amount of earnings each year that somebody will pay that 6.2% Social Security payroll tax on. In 2020, for example, you're going to pay that 6.2% on the first $137,700 that you make. Any, you, anything you make above that, you'll pay a 1.45% Medicare tax, but you won't pay that Social Security tax. Incidentally, when it comes time to average your earnings to calculate your benefit, Social Security only averages in earnings up to that annual taxable maximum. But in 2021, that will increase to $142,800. So you'll pay 6.2% up to that one forty two eight. Um, you'll continue to pay a 1.45% Medicare hospital insurance tax on every dollar that you make. There's no longer any type of threshold on that. In addition to that, because of that increase in wages, another change that occurs in 2021 is the amount of money that someone can make while under full retirement age and looking to collect benefits without having it impact their monthly Social Security payment. So, for example, in the year 2020, you're under your full retirement age, working but looking to collect benefits. You're allowed to make up to $18,240 without any loss of benefit payments whatsoever. You make above that this year. Social Security holds back $1 in benefits for each $2 that you're over the threshold. In 2021, the allowed amount increases to $18,960. So you can make $18,960 or less while under full retirement age, collect full payments each and every month of the year. Again, you make above that, $1 for every two gets withheld in benefits. But what hasn't changed is the fact that from the month you reach your Social Security full retirement age, whatever it happens to be, there's no longer any earnings limitation imposed on you whatsoever. And the last change, just to quickly mention, tied into this increase in average wages, is the amount of money that someone must earn in order to earn a Social Security credit. Now, the old term of art was quarters of coverage, or QCs, but since 1978, talk about earning Social Security credits in order to qualify for benefits down the road. In 2020, you would earn one Social Security credit for each $1,410 that you made, regardless of when you made it. Now, because you could earn and can earn a maximum of four credits in a year, you need to accumulate credits over your working lifetime. And once you've accrued 40, four zero, which is the equivalent of 10 years of work under the system, you are going to be vested, if you will, in the Social Security program. You're insured for a benefit, and you'll absolutely qualify for something when the time comes. Well, in 2021, the amount of money required to earn one Social Security credit is $1,470. And again, because you can't earn or you can earn up to four credits in a calendar year, it means, for example, next year you have earnings of $5,880 or more. You've accumulated your four Social Security credits towards the 40 that you need in order to collect a Social Security retirement benefit based on your own work activity. The important thing is with these credits, doesn't matter when you make the money, it's based solely on the dollar amount of earnings you have, again, in a job covered under the Social Security program. But for example, January 1st, 2021, you make $5,880. Well, you've earned your four credits for calendar year 2021. So 
Again, you need 40 over your working lifetime. The amount of money required to accrue one of those credits goes up a little bit each year. And in 2021, increases from the 1410 per credit this year up to 1470 for next year. That's, that's good for people to know. If you just tuned in, I'm talking with Kurt Zarnowski, president and founder of Zarnowski Consulting. Always does a great job helping us walk through kind of the, I guess, the maze. I don't know, the dictionary on Social Security. I guess that's the best way to look at it. It always seems to be complicated, but Kurt does a great job of giving it to us in that primer mindset, and I can read it, and I can listen to him. I always do, Kurt. You always teach me something. Retirement benefit, you said, let's go back to that, the maximum monthly retirement benefit at full retirement age is what? 2021 sure. versus 2021. I mean, 2020. Yep. And, and, yep. Great, great point. So again, always get that question. Is there a maximum payment that social security makes out uh, or gives out? And so always qualified by saying for someone who is at his or her full retirement age, now this year, full retirement age in 2020 is somebody who was born in 1954 so full retirement age is the month they turn age 66. In 2021, though, full retirement age will increase to 66 years and two months for anyone born 1955. So in 2021, anyone who has hit his or her full retirement age of 66 years and two months and who for each of the past 35 consecutive years has had earnings at or above the social security taxable maximum. Because again, that's the point I pointed out. You could make a half a million dollars in a particular year, but you're only going to pay social security tax, you know, again, on a limited amount of earnings. And in calculating your benefits, social security, as I said, only averages in the earnings subject to the taxable maximum. But that's a long winded preface by saying in 2021, somebody at full retirement age of 66 years and two months who for each of the past 35 years has had earnings at or above that taxable maximum, he or she will receive $3,148 per month, 3148 per month, or $37,776 per year. Again, hugely important part of retirement income, but as we always stressed on the show, Jim, um, it's never intended to be somebody's sole source of income in retirement, and they need to find ways to supplement that Social Security payment need to recognize it as a base or a foundation that needs to be supplemented. But max next year, 3148 per month, $37,776 over the course of the year. Well, that's that's the key, and I so much appreciate you adding that point in there, that, they, that they, it's just a foundation, but it is always a very integral part to anybody's plan. And, Kurt, you do such a good job. I didn't. We didn't get a chance to get into Medicare but I, I want to have you back on, and we'll talk about what's changing because there's some changes, definitely, for 2021 for Medicare. So can I uh, – well, I won't put this on you. I'll, uh, we'll have you back. How's that? Sure. Yeah, make my usual uh, first quarter of the year appearance sometime first in 2021. First quarter. There you go. Yeah, we're, we got, we're great for radio, man, great for radio. Thank you so much. You have a blessed day. Have a great Thanksgiving, man. Appreciate you. Thanks. Same to you and all your listeners. Again, to close the way I started. Stay safe, stay healthy, and, and we'll get through all of this. Amen. Thank you, sir. That's Thank Kurt you. Zarnowski. He is the president and founder of Zarnowski Consulting. Always a great guest. Gives us great information when it comes to Social Security and Medicare. And as I said, I will definitely have him back on, and we'll cover some issues about Medicare and what's happening there. So. 
Now, I want to kind of move to my second guest in the program today is Ted Miner. And Ted is a frequent guest of ours, does a great job. And we have a question that came in. And if you do have questions for the, the program, just send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. That's talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. And we'll get your question. And we'll either try to answer it for you personally, or we definitely will use it to put the programs together. So we're answering not only your question, but the other few hundred people, thousand people that's asking the same identical question. And Ted, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, Jim. Good morning. Good to be here. It's good to have you, man. And uh, I might as well go ahead and introduce the other guy that's with us here. And so um, I started to say he's the better looking guy, but I won't say that. He's younger. He's younger. <laughs> Michael Powell, welcome to the program. Hey, Jim. Hey, Ted. Good, good to, morning. Good to see you all. All right, guys. Here's the thing. And uh, I want to, this is the question. And, and let me make sure I word it right. Here, they didn't say what is long-term care insurance or uh, how much does long-term care insurance cost? They said, why do I need long-term care insurance? That's a pretty big question. <laughs> now, obviously, I think they were being sold something, and they just kind of said, wait a second, before I do something, and I appreciate them using the program to help get a little bit of their understanding of why I need long-term care insurance. So that's the question, Ted. Well, I'm glad you've given me this next hour to talk about it. Uh, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about long-term care in terms of what it is. And uh, first of all, the longevity of human beings has increased dramatically. Uh, if you go back to 1900, the average lifespan of a man was 43 years old. Today, we're looking at 80 plus years old. We've never doubled it in 120 years here. So we're looking at, uh, I know that when I was growing up, my grandmother was an invalid. She was a diabetic. She lived in our home together, and we took care of her for many, many years. So as people are living uh, longer, one of the things that we have done really well with medicine is we've kept them alive. Uh, and we keep them alive, but many times they need help in living. And long-term care, in essence, is a host of services that just aren't paid for by regular insurance. And in the past, it's been handled by the home, by your, your children or someone that loves you, someone that will come in and take care of those things. And the industry in itself has basically defined those needs as cer certainly cognitive. If someone has Alzheimer's or, or they've got dementia or something, it could be as simple as making sure they take their meds at the right time, making sure that the ovens are turned off in the house, uh, they know how to go to bed. Uh, the industry has also taken certain, they call them activities of daily living. And as, as I call them out, people say, yeah, we, we, we need that to live. But uh, they're bathing. Certainly if a person can't bathe, they need help. Um, toileting, being able to take care of themselves there. Transferring is a, is a term that refers to a person to be able to get from maybe a wheelchair to a bed or from a from a chair to a, another place to be able to move around in the household and they may need assistance in in doing that eating dressing and continence they uh those are the six areas that the industry kind of looks at and when it comes to a policy when we talk about a policy most policies define if you need help in any two of these or the cognitive area then you qualify for assistance through your policy or through whatever means if you have if you have paid for some some external means of uh, of financing to help you through these uh, 
through these issues. Issues. So, all right. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just tuned in, my guest now is Ted Miter and Michael Powell. Our subject is based on a question that we received. And again, if you've got a question for us, send it to Talk Money at ShoemakerFinancial.com. Do I need long-term care insurance? Mm-hmm. Now, Ted, you've done a great job. It's you talked about it's chronicle medical conditions, disability. Any disorder, I mean, Alzheimer's, you said dementia, cognitive awareness, all of those issues fall under the table. It's kind of on top of the table there. They're, they're the things that every family has to go through as they have an aging parent or, or a, mm-hmm. a, a, a child or something that's got a problem. Yeah, and a lot of times, I mean, we, we associate it with age, but there are times when people are younger and things happen that they, they need these services too and they need to be taken care of. One other statistic that might help this individual that's asking a question is that uh, they say that uh, if you're 65 years old, that 70% of the people that are 65 will need some sort of long-term care assistance uh in their life. Now, it does not mean that it'll last a long time, but uh, I mean, it could be a, a breaking, falling down, breaking a hip. There may be a period of time there where someone needs that service. Or if it's more of the what, what I think many of us have experienced with a, an elderly person in the home, once they come in, it's usually for the rest of their lives. And so many times the services that we're talking about with, a, with someone we love uh, may last anywhere from, well, it could last many years, but I think the average for a man is two and a half years. The average for a woman is three and a half years when they, when they get to that point. So you're talking about information that comes from the Associated Press, the long-term care trend poll. And that, that's a, that was great information as you look at that because we see it different in different areas. Uh, you know, some areas uh, people may stay longer. I remember my mom when we went from, you know, a, a her home to some place of um, retirement community, then some place to where she was mm. getting some assistance in the retirement community, and then to the point where she had to go into a nursing home. And uh, there was a you know a movement through that process. I remember though. Just watching the care, and and again, the care, my objective was always to have the care at the top level, because it was my mom. And I think every person would want that for their their children. Um, We've been around the table with children discussing this as an issue. And I think that may be one of the reasons that some people may need to think about long-term care insurance. They don't want to have to make that decision about quality of care. They want it to be able to pay for it. Yeah, there's uh, Jim at uh, last night. I was looking. Uh, Genworth does a great job of keeping data across the country in terms of cost. And uh, if you look at what it costs for, say, a semi-private room nursing care in Memphis, Tennessee, the average uh, per year is eighty-two thousand dollars. If you have that type of care per year, per year. Uh, what was interesting, I also checked this out. Uh, I don't know why. Well, you and I were talking about this before we came on the show. <laughs> but in Alaska, it's $362,000 a year. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Three hundred and sixty. I think they have, two, they have two beds up there. But the lowest cost was Louisiana at about $65,000 a year. So I think uh, another thing, that, uh, the cost is one, and you mentioned something that's important. If a person goes through uh, life and they they can't pay for it and they need it, certainly Medicare is there, Medicaid is there to help them. But when you look at the Medi- Medicaid, the, the, the places are full 
and the quality of care just doesn't seem to be what it is when you go to a private place that, that you're paying to get into. And most people don't have that option unless they have plenty of money, unless they have some external means to pay for this, a policy that they paid for or something like that. So that, that would be certainly one thing that, that that individual needs to think about. The other thing. Oh, come okay. out. Yep. I'm sorry. <laughs> I want you to come back. Okay. I I think that is two big important things you're talking about here. We're going to take a break because when we come back, I want to hear the other thing because I think so many people forget that the quality of care and when you're around the table, as we in our practices sit around the table with the kids and they've got mom or dad, that that's an issue. And they think about it and they talk about it. You can sense it. It creates stress for them. You're talking about avoiding the stress. I want to hear the other thing. All right, we'll be back in just a second. You're listening to Talk Money. My guest is Michael Powell and Ted Miner. He's going to tell us the other thing when we come back. Jim Shoemaker, this is Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker, Ted Miner, and Michael Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. All right, if you just tuned in, my guest is Michael Powell and Ted Miner. Ted right now is discussing some issues that we all have based on a question that we received from you, our listeners, basically saying, why do I need long-term care? Now, again, if you've got a question for us on any subject financial, send it to us at talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll get that on the air. But this question, I think, has kind of prompted a lot of discussion. And I want to hear, you were kind of, why don't you back up and let me run the tape again and you kind of say, what was the first and the second thing? I want to hear the other thing, too. Well, that, certainly that first one, getting back to what we ended with there, the uh, the quality of care. And you will, if you're having that discussion around the table and you talk with anyone that has had someone in a home, they have had an experience. Absolutely. And they will let you know very quickly whether it was a terrible experience or whether it might have been a very pleasant experience. There are, there are huge differences in one place that may have uh, you may have a private uh, nursing care facility and you have another one. There's huge differences in the quality of care at those facilities. And you want options. That's right. You and sure options do. with a loved one is critical. And it can be expensive. Absolutely. The other reason, All right. and this is, I don't want to uh, get explicit on this or talk about this, but when it comes to you thinking about having your family take care of you, you need to really think what that means. Because if you've ever had to take care of someone, it takes a special person to do the health care things and, and needs that that person has. And, you know, it's not a pleasant experience. I, as a, as, as a human being, I don't want my kids doing that for me. <laughs> I mean, I don't. It's, it's, it's a, that easy. It's an easy question for me to, to, to resolve that. I don't want them to have, first of all, I don't want that, that stress and strain in their life and change of scheduling. Some There are many, uh, I forget the percentage, Michael may remember the percentage, but I think it was like 45% of, uh, and, and don't, I'm, I'm guessing at that, but uh, <laughs> it was a large number where people have actually stopped their career early to take care of their parents oh, just yeah. because of because of these needs. Well, you know, we see that a lot. And and I can remember when my mom was in a, in a situation where we were going through some things and she stayed with us for a while and and we were working through that with her and and I had we had someone to come in and we were working and they just couldn't believe that I would do some of the things that I was having to do with my mom 
But I had a little bit of a, I was a corpsman in the Navy, so I had a little bit of that. But for some people, that is like, uh-oh, that's I'm unbelievable. And you're right. I don't know if I want my two daughters having to take care of me at that point. Yeah, and I'll just speak up here just from personal experience. I mean, I've had I have four grandparents. I've had three already need it, some sort of long-term care assistance. I've had my grandfather pass away last year, but he lived in 97, long time. And when you get to that 90 to 97 range, you're going to have some health problems. It doesn't matter if you're in pretty good health mentally, but physically you may not be able to take care of yourself as much. And we had someone, my, he lived with my parents for the past, I guess, seven, eight years of his life. He fell, broke his hip in a uh, while he was doing the yard one day, and he lived like 30 minutes away from my parents' house. So as soon as that happened, he lived closer to home. Fortunately, my dad's sister lived down the road. He was a, she was able to come and take turns with him. But, I mean, it's it's overbearing just for even, like, my parents because they couldn't even go out to eat sometimes because they would just have to stay in and make sure that things were taken care of. But we loved the person that took care of my grandfather during that time when they got to go. I mean, they were like family to us and just like the other person, too, that would be open with that. You know, Jim, the, the other thing about this industry is there are many, many different levels of service for this type of uh, care. Uh, my parents, my dad's 89, mom's 81, they, they really have pretty good health. And we just, uh, you know, it just came to a point where they couldn't do the things in their home. They really didn't need assistance, but they needed they needed to have a place that maybe they got three meals a day. Mom had had uh, left uh, the burners on a couple times in the house, and and there were certain things. Dad he wanted to get out and work in the garden, but it had gotten to where he couldn't do that, and cutting the yard, cutting the grass, and doing those things. So what we did, and, it's, it, and I'll tell you what, for the younger people out there, it was probably a two year conversation for us to get them to the point where they wanted to leave the place they'd lived in for forty some years. And, uh, and uh, we, we got them into a, a facility that, that really, the only service they really offer them is uh, they, they, they fix three meals a day for them. They go to a, a, a dining room and they associate with, with other people there for, for, uh, for social means, by, for eating and playing checkers and playing cards and doing things there as a community. And then they come in, they change their linens for them, and they're completely independent in that, in that facility. But I will say this. That it's costing them about five thousand dollars a month uh, to do that, and that is way above what their expenses normally was. So mm-hmm. we we had to plan for that, and uh, of course we're having to plan for the next step when they need a little bit more care in what we do there. So that's the question because I think a lot of people forget. Well, we're running out of time here, but the reality is that you've got your mom and dad both still alive. They're in a, a an assisted living home. Okay, that's not long-term care. All right. That's right. Now, dad, I'm just going to use your dad. I know mm-hmm. your dad. Your dad all of a sudden needs to go to a long-term care. That's an additional expense to mom still staying. And that, that's the planning process. And there are services that you can have where they will actually come in. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons we chose this place, I thought this was pretty important. They actually have a services that, that comes into their facility, and they will bill you in 15-minute increments. A lot of places require four hours minimum for them to come in and, and check on you, check on someone and help them out. But let's say you need someone just to come in and make sure the meds are taken, the correct meds are taken, the right dosages. They Because they go to this facility, they're willing to break down their, their billing into 15 minutes. Um, one of the things that uh, we've been told is in the, in the industry is that we sell 
uh, long-term care insurance to the wrong wrong generation. I mean, the uh, the generation that really uh, uh, should be thinking about it is the generation that, if especially if their parents has an estate, uh, has a lot of uh, needs because someone made the quote, uh, quote that the greatest destructor of estates is long-term care needs because it can be so great. The expenses can be so great and drain the estate down to nothing. So maybe the younger generation needs to be thinking about helping their parents with this. So maybe that's the question. Do I need? Mm-hmm. And the reality is uh, this may be the need you need to you know, think about. It could draining it could, the estate. Could it's be either. because of quality of care. Could be because of they, they don't want their children to take take care of them. Or it could be because their estate they don't want to get drained for the heirs. It comes down to either are you going to hoard a part of your nest egg of retirement for this in case need, or are you going to leverage it and put the risk on somebody else? And that's well, really what it, what you got to really ask does yourself. Come out of that. What's the process to do this, Ted? Jim, if uh, someone's interested in long-term care, we would sit down, first of all, kind of look at what their needs are, their financial needs are, and then there's a number of options. We didn't get into that. There's a number of options to do that, and we would talk about that. Let's come back and talk about that at another time. I really think it's important for people to get that side. So you just tuned in. Ted Miner, Michael Powell, we've been talking about why do you need long-term care? And I'd like to come back in that process because I think people don't – you just don't buy the product is what you're saying – you need to have a big understanding about what you're trying to There's do. There's different ways to leverage that Michael was talking about there. That's, that's good. Well, speaking of Michael, Michael, I want to dive into a question that came up. And, you know, and I think it's, and again, it's the second question we're addressing today's program. Of course, you're listening to Talk Money, and that's what we do. And if you've got a question for you, just sit for us, just simply send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. But now here's the here's kind of the mindset that occurred as this discussion came about and this question. I've been saving for retirement. What's next? And I heard that and I thought, what do you mean what's next? This person literally was going through some trauma because retirement was literally, in fact, he lives in Nashville. Uh, I know he's going to listen to this podcast probably when, when, he, when we got the call. And because I told him we would do this, he said, you know, I've been working for 40 some odd years and he's been 36 of these old years at one company doing a great job. And they're young. He's only 66 years old. His company's saying you got to retire. But he's literally looking at himself across the door and saying, what's next? Right. Talk about what's next, the life planning for retirement. Yeah, and that's a big point, Jim, because we've always talked about, like, numbers. Like, hey, Social Security, like Kurt was talking about earlier. Hey, you got to look at your risk if there's calls for long-term care. But let's talk about the fun stuff. Like, what are you going to do? Like, what are your activities that you like to do? Are you involved with the church? Are you involved with your community, local neighborhood? Um, There's so many different things we have in retirement that we can do, but there's a lot of people out there that don't even ever think about it until they get to the point where, yep, I'm going to retire, Jim. Next week I start, retired. What are you going to do? I hadn't thought about that. It's like if we're planning retirement, you know, five, ten years out, you need to start thinking about the activities you can do too because you're going to stir crazy if you just – have nothing to do but watch cars drive by on your front well, porch. Yeah, I mean, at some point porch. it's entertaining, I'm sure. Yeah. But <laughs> at the same time, there's there's just so many things we can stay active and be able to do a lot of activities. I have to tell you this, that you mentioned that. <laughs> I, a guy sent me an email and said, hey, they just put one of those flashing lights in front of my house that tells you the speed. 
when you go is driving down his road. He said, I've watched. He said he sits on the front porch and watches the people And he takes a guess probably at how fast they're <laughs> how going. How fast they're going. Yeah. You know, but, you know, that that's the key. So let's do this now. And I think both of you enter into this conversation. People I know, what do they think about? What do they need to think about to help define more of this life planning part of retirement? And, uh, Michael, that's kind of my thought. I mean, there's more to it than that. I know you right. talk about education and, and maybe stepping into another degree or something, but talk about this for people. One of the biggest ones I think is important, at least in my opinion, is health and fitness. I mean, if we're going to be living longer, might as well take care of our bodies longer, right? So you think about, are you concerned about your health? Can you do things to improve it? Have you gone to the doctor in the past five years? You know, normal stuff that you may be too busy to do when you're working, but when you're retired, there may be some things extra you can do. Hey, is there a, I know there's a guy in our office that does a softball league, and how is he, I don't want to well, he's over age. 60. He's over 60. Okay. Yeah, by the way, he's a world champion, too, you know. That's yeah. Right. He, I mean, and by the plays... way, I saw him. He, you know, had to show me the ring, you know. I mean, like, you of know. Course. And, of course, of it course. was, you know, bigger than it fit on his wrist. <laughs> but, I mean, are you going to play a soft – he's in a softball league. Right. Are you going to play in a softball league? Are you going to uh, do marathons or 401Ks on the week – not 401Ks. What about – 5Ks. <laughs> what? No, I don't think anybody wants to do a 401K. Lily just got to the half marathon. I'm going to tell her there's a 401K. <laughs> there's a new 401 Actually, right. there's a guy there that mentally may be in long-term care right here. Oh, That's my right. gosh. Right. I mean, are you going to stay – it, it could be mentally, too. I mean, playing chess, checkers, whatever Anything. those things are. Yeah. So, I think those things – All right, I think important. that's important for people to understand. You're talking about health care and fitness, leisure, recreation. You know, there's, there's nurse – they're not nursing homes. Listen to me. There's these communities that are built now, some in Florida and other places – that have got all the recreational activity. But if you don't live in one of those communities, you can just, as you said, Ted, kind of sit on the front porch and rock and wave, and, and that's it. Jim, I wanted to put this in there. My dad, uh, who is, again, 89 years old, he is ranked 127th in the country in checkers. Well, just this last week, 127. he traveled like traveled to uh, he traveled up to Virginia, and he won the seniors North Carolina state championship this last this last year. His mind is very very sharp. He has he is uh, macular degeneration, having trouble seeing, but he's still a very good checker player. That's that's important. People have to understand that aging doesn't have to retiring, and then that process of aging is something that you plan for. And you work your plan. That event they've been planning for for two months to go up there and spend three nights in a hotel and play in the tournament and mom to shop a little bit and them to eat at Cracker Barrel and go out to eat a couple times. They've been they've been quarantined so much. That was a huge event for them to go and enjoy. And I think that's what people need to understand when it comes to life planning retirement. That's critical. Yeah, and just to mention, I kind of segue off of that, you may not want to just retire and play checkers or play golf in different activities and whatnot, you may want to start a whole new career um, or do a part-time job, volunteer, do other things that just keep you active. I know my grandfather, uh, my other grandfather that I have not mentioned, he had two different careers in, uh, in life. Number one, he was a football coach in college for about 25, 30 years. And after that, he became a uh, title insurance salesman. He worked till he was 85. Wow. And he just enjoyed doing what he was doing. And, um, you know, just because you retire from your job, you may have spent hours and hours and years and years and years at, doesn't mean you can't pick up something else, maybe selling real estate, maybe doing uh, just something else out there that you've been passionate about before, but you just never had time to take up. 
you know, we talk about that, that part of education, that part of recreation, that mm-hmm. part of playing checkers, leisure. You just put it all together as a part of your overall retirement plan. What about the financial things? I know we talk about, you know, the buying of a new car at retirement or renovating the home. All that has to be put into the financial part, but it's a plan. It's part of not just looking at how many dollars you've accumulated. How are you going to use the dollars at retirement? Right, exactly. And I think with cars, you think of houses. Are you going to live in that same house that you've been in, raised your family in or whatnot, or you get downsized? Because that can definitely significantly change what your retirement picture looks like. If I've got a lot of equity in my home, I sell it, I've got a little bit more money set aside. I can downsize, not spend as much. But when we think about all those finances things, we got to see, you know, what's coming in. How can we adjust our expenses moving forward? Because you think about all the things you spend money on today. When you retire, some of those things will drastically change. And sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad. It just depends. So that that's one. That's one very example. important. You know, Jim, getting to the question that the the, the individual asked specifically. You know, he has, uh, or, or she, has actually saved money for a period of time. Uh, the next thing to do is, have they saved enough? Have they saved the right amount? And really, more people, most people spend more time planning a vacation than they do planning their retirement. And and I tell people, you know, one of the, one of the really joys of this job, now there's some, there's some tough things you have to deal with when people uh, have long-term care issues and stuff, but when they're thinking about retirement and they've done well and they plan well, uh, it's fun to sit down and think about the things that they have the opportunity to do. And, and if you sit down and plan it, one that Michael and I did a, do actually do a, a, a course, retirement planning course. So where we go through all that and, and plan out how to spend that money, plan out those things that they want to do. And there's, there's the years where they're going to be very, very active and there's the years they're going to slow down. And then there's the years they're going to be staying at home, but they need to we, we actually go out and spend that money over the next 30 years of how that money is spent in basically in a planning session. It's helping a person get some insight because if they don't think through this process, first thing you know, it'll be the biggest problem they've got. And that's, exactly. that's an issue. We've got a PDF that we want to offer to everybody that's listening. All you have to do is just simply go to our website, the Auto Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, and search for this document. It's called Why 59 and a Half. Why is this age so important? Print it out, keep it, look at it, study it, whatever you want to do with it. If you just want to read it and not print it, that's fine too. But it's 59 and a half. Why is this age so important? Guys, that's a great subject. We've got to come back and talk more about that. There's some other things that I just didn't have time to get into. But I I think life planning is critical for people. I mean, I've got clients, I've got people that I know that didn't do that like we should have. Because it just wasn't focused, you know, years ago. But now we're seeing, as you said, Ted, people are living longer and they need to think longer and they're able to do things. And there's so much more recreational things they can do. There's volunteer. I had a ministry that I'm working with that says, you know, that we've been trying to hire people. Now we've figured it out that we can get excellent, excellent volunteers. My dad's been in retirement for over 30 years now. Wow. That's great. I have lunch with a guy. It's exactly the same way, and I'm thinking of all the things he's doing. Guys, I got a question for you because here's the issue. It's Thanksgiving. I mean, can you believe it? I mean, this no, year. No, I can't. It's hard to believe. <laughs> when? It is flying. <laughs> when, yeah. It has, this year has been, you know, I love the word. We've overused it this year. Unprecedented. It's a great word. I'm going to really use that word many, many times. But it's been abnormal. 
It has been a, a stressful year. In fact, in some of the material that I've been reading in preparation for this, one of the things that I mentioned early in the program, psychologists, when they, when they talk about this, and this was a, a subject that they mentioned, that 70% of the people, 78% of the people that, were, that they're talking to have discovered that this is, you know, they're stressed out about coronavirus. What they're concerned, this is the psychologist, you know, that it came from the American Psychological Association. They did a Stress in America survey. 78% stressed out because of coronavirus. They're expecting it to go over 85% to 90% because of Christmas. All right, stress in the holidays. That's the subject. You know, you know the uh, statistic that goes along with that I heard on turkeys did you know turkey sales are, <laughs> this is this goes right to what you're talking about turkey sales are up 17% but the size of the turkey has dropped significantly people are order medium and smaller turkeys because they are actually planning for smaller gatherings but the number of turkeys is way up that's a, that's an amazing that's amazing so all right Ted, since you mentioned turkeys, I thought you might say the stress life of turkeys during this time of the year was going up too. Well, it, it just means that people, is, people. Well, it might be there's more of them dying, but but uh, there is uh, the people are thinking they're thinking about smaller gatherings, yes. and so that that was where the statistics. I was came talking from. to this group last night, and uh, there was this whole idea behind what are you doing for the holidays. It was you know we were on a Zoom call, and it was amazing, you know, and you could sense what they wanted to do. And yet what they were thinking that they just can't do. And a lot of it is that smaller gatherings and, uh, and really being very intentional about who they're in gathering with. What would you say to our listening group, Ted? Let's start with some of these things. If you're looking to avoid stress. Well, I think stress, stress levels come from two things all the time. I mean, element of time that we have at the holiday season. It seems like we never get everything done. I, I was reading an article where because of the environment we're in, we may need to plan more intentional phone calls and things like that to people that we want to stay in touch with, but we're not able to uh, uh, we're not able to spend that time directly with them. So, touching out to the people that are important in our lives, you know, we had a phone call where um, we actually had a member of the family said, "Hey, instead of getting gifts this year, let's not get gifts for each other." Apparently, that was a point of stress for her. And so we agreed that, hey, let's not, uh, let's not necessarily buy each other gifts this year, but we still want to have that time together. That's important. What do you see, Michael, to help people get through this time of the year? I would try to avoid family conflict, especially during these times. It may be, it may be stressful for one of your family members just to come over for Thanksgiving or come over for Christmas Eve or whatever those things are. And don't put any pressure on them. I mean, if, if they're not willing to come because of what's going on, that should be understandable. we got to have some empathy for that. Um, or even if they do come over, let's try to share the love, show the love. Because, I mean, we're already in a tense environment anyway, whether it's political, all these different things that are going on. So when you got Uncle Eddie com that comes over and you know he's going to try to stir up the pot or whatever, just try and keep it cool. <laughs> I guess try and keep it cool. I always tell people, too, that bottom line is if you've got to be spending money, Set a budget. Yes. Don't just go crazy. Set a budget of what you're going to spend for Christmas. I'd say today you need to be really flexible because right now there's a lots of associations that you may have an association, church and stuff, that don't even know whether they're going to get together or not. Oh, Christmas. that's a good point. So a lot of stress. 
We'll talk some more about this as the holiday season kind of approaches us, but I uh, want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving that's coming up. You've been listening to KWAM, the Mighty 990, FM 107.9 and AM 990. My guest, of course, Mr. Social Security, Kurt Zarnowski of Zarnowski Consulting, and then Ted Miner and Michael Powell from the office. And if you would like questions for Kurt, you can reach him at 508-528-1278. And questions for Ted or Michael, especially about long-term care, 757-5757. And also the PDF that I mentioned earlier, Why 59 and a Half? Why is this age so important? Go to our Shoemaker Financial page, search for the document in our post, and there you'll be able to view the document, or if you'd like to print it out, just download the PDF to print it. Next week, we got Jim Whitehead. What do you do when you're looking at an advisor? What questions do you ask? And Scott Jordan and Tommy Armstrong are going to be talking about estate planning basics and some common mistakes to avoid. That's Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM, the Mighty 990. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and this is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guesting Content Coordination, Francis Fortner. Production Assistant, Lauren Forsyth. Compliance Officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securing Financial Services, Inc. are affiliated with Kurt Zarnowski or Zarnowski Consulting. The views and opinions expressed are those of Kurt Zarnowski only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securing Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Jim Shoemaker, Ted Miner, and Michael Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. A woman will sell her precious body. A small piece of paper, it carries a lot of weight. More than me, me, me. Talking about